Welcome to Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Kelly, and I'm here to remind you, however you're listening and wherever you're listening, that as dads, we're just like moms. Except we're dads. Ha Again, uh, let me ask you to please introduce yourself. Yes, my name is Emilio Diaz Barroso. Um, do you want me to go into my backstory or introduce myself? Meaning, whatever you feel comfortable sharing for the moment. Mm. <laughs> well, at this moment, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude for being here. I just got to spend four days with my 14 year old son and um, five days. And it was some of the most meaningful time we've spent together um, because it was a very one-on-one. We've done a lot of one-on-one time, but this was a particularly meaningful time for me. Mm. And uh, I can get into that more. I have three kids, a 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old boy, and 16-year-old girl. And uh, and I don't even know if I'm supposed to call it a 16-year-old a girl or a lady. Or <laughs> It's getting to that stage where, where I'm, I'm so curious and I'm learning and I'm making mistakes. And um, But I'm originally from Mexico City and I, um, I live in Los Angeles now. I grew up very A-type and was committed to being successful and special and valued. And really, my whole drive was deep down inside to try to prove myself and feel special enough and valued enough where people would want to, um, would have an interest in being with me. And deep down, I wouldn't end up being lonely. That took me a while to find out. (laughs) And so in terms of that, where are you right now? Um, My life's changed a lot. I got a lot of outward success. My A-type went full into business. I, was very recognized uh, by peers and family and everyone that I always wanted to be recognized by. And obviously, like it's the case with most things, once you get what you want, it's not as meaningful as you thought it was going to be. Mm. And then I channeled my A-type into spirituality and I went deep into um, just wanting to get enlightened. And I spent, because uh, I would see these people that I perceived as being enlightened, having this incredible peace and freedom. But more than that, I admire them as I go, well, that's, that's something that I can definitely get that not everybody else has. Cause a lot of people have a lot of money, but not a lot of people are enlightened. So if I can be enlightened, then that will be really special and I'll be even the bestest of them all. And, uh, so that was my, my drive towards enlightenment. And I spent almost a decade just going deep into silent retreats, doing, you know, eight to 12 silent retreats a year, just meditating a lot and reading all sorts of texts and uh, doing deep inquiry. Where that's left me is that a lot of the old fuel that used to run me has snuffed out. And uh, yeah, and the center or the orientation from which I used to move through my life is uh, has shifted quite a bit. So place. I'm curious to make the connection between how all of this in terms of where you are, the process that you went through that you just spoke briefly about, how does that connect to your fatherhood journey? So take me back to type A or A type, very driven to get these things that were important to you. Was there a moment in that process? Was it a moment in that process where you also became a father? What changed, what remained the same? Yeah, a lot changed. Um, The parenting journey was, the first years were very rough for me. And they were rough because I was, I I started writing this this parenting book. And uh, and my first line is, when my baby girl was born, I didn't love her. Mm. And and that's a a big one uh, to admit, she's the love of my life. 
now. Uh, but I was at a place where, um, and I, I don't think it's a function of where I was at a place. I think it's actually quite normal for dads. I've heard when their baby is born to have this strange relationship with this newborn that, you know, mom seems to be incredibly tight with and have a deep connection with. And also it's like, well, okay, I guess I love you, but I don't feel anything. Yeah. You almost feel like you're on the outside. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. So, so this journey parenting has, um, I was lucky enough that when my kids were still young, I committed to using parenthood as a roadmap for resolving my own stuff. And I grew up with a childhood where authoritarian uh, parenting was the norm. Mm -hmm. And it took quite a bit for me to unravel that and recognize that uh, even though that was what I grew up with, uh, it was just inefficient and not the kind of dad I wanted to be. Can we spend some time talking a little bit about that dynamic? Because I think the same thing happened for me as well, but I'm curious to hear your story with regards to that. What were some of the core stuff that parenthood forced you to um, wrestle with as you were beginning to discover and realizing them uh, now that you were a, a father? Yeah. One of the, one of the, there's so many, but one of the ones that comes to mind is my son when he was younger, he may have been in his like, you know, I don't know if it was somewhere between four and six years old, he was incredibly defiant mm. and he would pull out the, you can't make me card. And it would trigger the heck out of me. Yeah, my and son is I two would, and he's doing that to me right now. Oh, and it was brutal. Yeah. And I was at the, quite at the peak of this, I did a master's in spiritual psychology and I was meditating and I was, everybody was saying, oh, how zen I was. And I, everything could go to hay, hell in a hay basket at work or in relationships and, and I could still keep my cool. And here was this sort of four or five-year-old yeah. and I was <laughs> just totally losing it yeah. and losing it to the degree where sometimes I was physically uh, restraining him. Like he would fight with his sister mm. who was younger and I would use that. As, so I would be telling him to stop and he wouldn't be stopping. And I would use the excuse that I was protecting his sister to physically hold him and squeeze him in the process of holding him mm. to the level where I was actually inflicting hurt on him mm. and moving him to the side. I was taking out rage on him for not being listened to. Yeah. And of course, then I would deny it because then I would judge myself as a bad dad and you know all that, sure. that can happen in our minds yeah. when, when we do something that we're not necessarily proud of. And I did a lot of work around this. And no matter how much work I was doing, it was still coming up. And then something shifted. I, I started looking at the assumption that I was carrying. And the assumption was my boy should listen to me and my boy shouldn't be defiant. Mm. And my boy, all these things that I had, because I, deep down I was saying, if I had done, if I would do a 10th of what you're doing right now, if I had spoken even just a little bit back when I was growing up, I, I would have gotten my ass handed down on me. I'm, I'm sorry for using profanity. I'm not sure. It's okay. But I, I would have been such a, I, I would never have dared. And here he was sort of exceeding anything that I was ever able to do and still getting away with it. And that was, that was really strange for me and it was hard. And I think that was part of my rage. What I realized is that deep down unconsciously, what was triggering me is that at his age, I didn't have a voice mm. and I succumbed to this fear or this respect out of fear for my parents, where I was so afraid of speaking up that I started to swallow everything that I wanted to say. But that doesn't mean that I didn't have a lot to say or that there wasn't anger or resentment or all the things that were building up inside of me that I just wasn't able to channel outwardly because obviously I would get punished for that. And when I caught that, I realized that my, I had a chance to relive that time in my life from a very different perspective, like to give to my son what I wish I had been given. Mm. And that included having to do some forgiveness around my dad and forgiving him for the way that he raised me. Because as long as I was carrying the judgments over how he had raised me, I was still sort of there was still, when, when I, when I judge something, there's a way in which that creates a grip in a, in a pattern. And as long as I'm judging that pattern does not get released and it needs to play itself out for, in my experience, 
until it's finally released. And forgiveness releases things for me. So when I was able to forgive my dad, then what started shifting with my boy was like, wow, I, I, I started finding gratitude for the fact that he was still being defiant. Mm. It's like, oh, I still haven't squashed him. <laughs> he still doesn't fear me enough yeah, to yeah. stop talking. Yeah. And that was a really big shift for me. That's a huge paradigm shift. Yeah. I'm curious, how would you characterize your relationship with your father growing up? Like what kind of, what kind of man was he? And in your parenting journey, how similar or different did you see yourself from him? Mm. He was incredibly successful, incredibly respected and admired by everyone, including myself. But he was running a large organization and didn't have time for conversation, really, because it was inefficient, essentially. He needed to make decisions at work that were influencing lots of things. Mm -hmm. And when he came to the house, it seemed very similar. So he, he, he almost was like a CEO at the house. And I would cherish any minute I would get with him. Mm -hmm. He was my idol. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were, they were scarce, right? Uh, there were uh, those times that I could actually get quality time with him were, were very limited. And I was the oldest. So I, I got the most of it in, in, I think amongst my, my siblings, but he was, he was harsh and deep down he was incredibly loving, but his way of relating was just um, authoritarian. Mm -hmm. And when I became a dad, I swung in the opposite side of the pendulum where I became at first overly permissive because I was committed to not repeating that dynamic, but it goes back to what I was saying earlier, because I was still in judgment over his parenting. Yeah. I was not choosing into my parenting in a conscious way. I was just reacting to his way of parenting. And I was reacting on the opposite side of that spectrum in the dad. That's the friendly dad that lets their kids get away with stuff. And is, but that wasn't my truth either. Mm. And it's not until I did my inner work where I really was able to, to recognize that he, my dad was actually doing the best he knew how to do given his circumstances and his upbringing and the reality that he was living under and truly forgave him for all my judgments that I was able to get clear with like, okay, what is, what kind of dad do I want to be? How do I want to show up? Not in reaction to how he was. And what was surprising is that the kind of dad I wanted to be is not the dad that I was, that was always present. Cause for me, it's like, I'm going to be there all of, I'm not going to miss a single thing for them. Cause my dad would miss a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And what I realized when I got more conscious about it is that the dad I wanted to be was okay with missing some things, mm -hmm. was okay with prioritizing some of the things that were important to him mm -hmm. as an individual. Mm -hmm. you know, I love to work out or I love to travel. I was no longer carrying the guilt if I decided to work out or travel instead of spending time with them for whatever reason, because I was no longer judging my dad. And that was a huge paradigm shift. I think that third step is what goes missing a lot of the times. And as you're saying it, I'm realizing the heck I'm missing that third step. What I mean by that third step is, so there is the relationship with your father, which is step one. Hmm. And then you become a father and that is step two. And now you're, you're seeing yourself in comparison to what your experience was with your father. And I think for a lot of people, and I'm including myself, I'm a lot of people, that's where the buck stopped. So I don't want to parent or repeat some of the things that I experienced um, with my son. I don't want to parent the same way that... I was parented by my father. And so everything becomes 
a reactionary thing. If something feels too similar to how he parented me as I'm parenting my son. And so now my mindset is, okay, how can we make that different in contrast to what I experienced? But what I'm hearing you saying is there is another step to be taken, which it sounds like you've taken, which is it's not, it doesn't only suffice to realize how different you want to be from how different I want to be from how I was parented, but that there needs to be a total reckoning and reconciling of that understanding that for what it was and not letting that dictate how I parent. And so literally just starting from a blank slate and saying, that's what it was and trying to define who I want to be. I need to make decisions that are completely outside of what that was as best as possible. Am I understanding you? Totally. I love how you phrased it because what I'm hearing and how you're speaking it is like we are controlled by our experience of of being parented Mm -hmm. as parents, Mm -hmm. whether it's because we're repeating it or we're avoiding it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. But we're still being disempowered in that conscious choice making of parenthood. Yeah. Which is such an interesting dynamic because again, in full confession, I had convinced myself that I had detached myself from that, but now you're bringing in a different perspective. That's making me realize I have not yet detached from that. I'm still very much so subconsciously reacting against his absence in my life by wanting to be uber present for my son. Yeah. And if you're anything like me, when you're not uber present, you, you, feel, you feel guilty. And, and you project, a f- or at least that's what I used to do. I would project a future when my kids would be older thinking that I wasn't there for X, Y, or Z. Oh, and, and, that, wow. and I'd be like, oh, but that was, that was the judgment that I was carrying that was still burdening me. What? I'm having such an aha moment right now. So this week, a couple of days, a couple of days ago, yesterday was such a rough day. Yesterday was a very tough day. My son woke up and from- Can we stop for a second there? Yeah. Can you put your hand in your heart for me? Absolutely. Just, Just a moment of acknowledging that. Some days are really hard. Some days are absolutely very hard. And yesterday was one I'm sorry that you had such a hard day yesterday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Just wanted to acknowledge that. My, uh, no, it's okay. Thank you for that. My son woke up and from the moment he woke up, he was in a bad humor. And he wanted nothing to do with me. Absolutely nothing to do with me. And so- and trying to help out my wife, getting him, well, not even help out my wife and in wanting to be a parent to him and doing my parently duties, changing his diaper, reminding myself that it's not about me. He's just having a bad day. But it really struck a chord when I went to wake him up in the morning and he didn't even want to say good morning to me. And he just wanted his mom. And I know He's not, that's not something that he's doing consciously, but on the receiving end of it, it made me feel as if all of this effort that I've been putting day in and day out is completely meaningless to him. And so when I got to work, I was talking to a colleague and I was sharing with that colleague just how tough of a day I was having. And This is where what we're talking about strikes uh, a deeper chord for me. I said to my colleague, I wish he understood how good he has it. I wish he understood how much I love him. And even though he's not able to engage in that conversation right now, when he grows up and he starts digging into my history with my father and, you know, his ancestry and what have you. I hope he finally understands how good he has it because I'm trying to give to him something that was never given to me. And now in light of what we've just spoken about, 
that is such a clear, glaring evidence of I'm not detached yet. I have some deeper work to be done that I thought I had done, but I haven't done yet. So thank you for mm. that. Wow. Thank you for sharing. That's that's powerful awareness and so courageous of you because I think instinctually the natural impulse for me when I would catch on something like that would be to justify my actions, justify my thoughts, justify my experiences and not necessarily own up to the responsibility of it being truly something that was a wound within me that still needed attention. Mm. My experience with, with children, with my children is that they will reflect back exactly where I'm hurting. Mm. And what is even more remarkable, and I've witnessed this in several occasions, is how the moment that I resolve something inside of myself, they stop playing that out. Wow. It's almost like the dynamic, my boy, stop being defiant. I, I promise you, my wife was like, what, what happened? <laughs> he shifted one day to the next, the moment that I had that, that aha of gratitude for him still being defiant. Wow. It never happened again. It's still, it's, it's been 10 years. It hasn't happened. And, and I so relate with what you were just sharing of, you don't know how good you have it. Cause that's really the narrative that I was carrying. Mm. And it's because I was still carrying this judgment from my childhood. And it was deep down. I could not bear the idea of him not being grateful for me. Yeah. Of him not loving me. Yeah. Of him not recognizing me as a great dad. Yeah. As the, that he won the lottery. Right. Cause that's really everything that my energy was committed to. And what was fascinating for me to realize is that my energy wasn't committed to being the best dad possible. My energy was being committed to convincing him that I was the best dad possible. Mm. And there was a subtle difference in that. Can you speak to that subtle difference? Yeah. See, when I am, when I'm trying to convince someone that I'm something, I am exerting additional energy in trying to put up. I, I commit my time and resources in those areas that will be more apparent. And what you were just saying flies in the face of that, right? It's like everything I've done has been for nothing. Mm -hmm. Someone's like, I haven't convinced him yet. Mm -hmm. I haven't proven it enough to him that I'm a great dad. What has all this work been for? Yeah. And, and, and it's like, oh, am I, was I on that picture? Or was I on this thing? Or um, will he, when he's older, will he look back and remember this thing or that thing? And, and my choices were really geared towards making sure that I didn't miss anything. And that when he looked back, because it was always about when he looks back, mm -hmm. when he's more aware, mm -hmm. he's going to see how amazing he had it and how amazing of a dad I was. And he won't judge me the way I judge my dad. Mm -hmm. And the difference between that and just trying to be the best dad possible is that when, I, when I'm looking to be the best dad possible, I'm not managing for how he sees me. I'm not managing for whether he likes to say hi in the morning or not. I'm showing up so fully that I know that when he doesn't want to say hi in the morning, the, I got to open my heart despite wanting to close down and sort of feel terrible and recognize that this is an opportunity to live that part of parenting that I somehow don't permit within my own parenting dynamic Yeah, to realize that it's okay to sometimes have him not like me. And that used to be so hard for me. Wow. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm literally fighting back tears right now because this is so, this is hitting, this is hitting home in a, in a different way. Um, to conclude how yesterday went, it, it ended in a better way than it started. And it shows the, to me now reflecting on it, it shows two things. The absurdity of, of the situation on like a surface level, but on this deeper level, Again, I think it reemphasizes that the narrative that I allow to drive my parenting needs to change. So this is how the day ended yesterday. 
we get home from work, my wife and I, we go and pick him up from my in-laws and we, we, yeah, we get home and my wife had a hair appointment. And so she is going to go get her hair done. I'm putting out the trash and my son is having an epic meltdown. Well, he's having a meltdown. And so I, I tell my wife, you know what, babe, you can leave and I'll just take care of him. My wife left for the next 35 minutes or so. My son is having an epic of all epic meltdowns. And he is wailing and he is screeching and he is dropping himself on the floor and he is flailing and he is, I mean, it was just almost to the point of like, when you see scary movies and, and, and someone is demon possessed, like that's what he looked like. And so I have a good friend of mine uh, who I met through podcasting. His name is Travis. Um, and I remember a conversation he and I had a while back where he says that when his sons would have these big moments, he would settle himself and he would go and sit in their vicinity without having to say a word. So I channeled my inner Travis. I settled myself and I went and sat in his vicinity and didn't say anything to him for a while. And he just kept going and going. And now we're to 40 minutes or so. And he has not relented. And after a while, I, I talked to him. Hey, buddy, mommy's coming. Right now, it's just you and daddy. And I'm trying to invite him to do things with me to, to shift the conversation. He was not having it. Now we're to 45 minutes. And so I get him away from the door. And then he takes it up 10 more notches. And I said, this is getting too much for me to be in the space physically. So let me remove myself to the living room and just leave him in the kitchen doing what he does. So I gave him about another five to seven minutes. And then I go back to him. And now we're to an hour almost since my wife has left and he has not settled down. So long story short, I get him to agree for us to go out for a walk. So we're going off for the walk. And as we're leaving the house, he says, daddy up. So I pick him up and we start to walk outside. He's into trucks and cars and stuff. And so he's pointing everything out. Daddy, that's a pickup truck. Daddy, that's the wheel. Daddy, that's black. And I'm like, yep. And so we're walking around the block. And I said to him, can daddy put you down so we can walk? And he said, no. And he squeezes his legs around me and he tightens his grip around my neck. And so I'm like, Cal, enjoy this. Enjoy this. So I literally walked like a four or five block radius holding him until maybe a quarter block from our house. My arms couldn't take it anymore and I put him down. <laughs> but we came back to the house and he was so much more playful and he was so much more receptive and he was, hey, daddy this and daddy that and complete 180 from an hour and 15 minutes or half hour, an hour and a half prior. And so I'm reflecting on, on this now and I'm thinking in an hour and a half time span, I went from my son hates me and he doesn't know how good he has it to he's my best friend. And it's absurd it's absurd that that would be the thing. But now understanding this deeper level of what you're talking about, it's not that absurd because I'm realizing the narrative needs to shift, not in terms of my relationship with my son, but in terms of my inner dialogue with, the memory of my history with my father. Wow. Yeah. 
Ah, goosebumps, man. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I so acknowledge you because sitting with a toddler that's having a tantrum for that long is so challenging. And I also want to point something out. I don't know if this is your history or it's in your lineage, but it certainly wasn't mine. What you did is feels so powerful for me because it feels like deep down growing up for me, being angry or upset when somebody was angry or upset, that was scary. That was mm -hmm. dangerous. Mm -hmm. So anger and strong emotions like that were absolutely not okay. And I suppressed those emotions in myself because when I perceived them out there, I was, I wasn't feeling safe. Yeah. And what you did in that hour time frame, or however long it was, you were essentially saying your strong emotions are okay. You are safe enough to experience what I probably wasn't safe enough to experience growing up. Let your inner rage, because we all have that, let all of that, this is the place daddy holds. And daddy takes care of himself too, right? If daddy needs space, daddy takes space. But your, your strong emotions are, per, are, are allowed here. And I'm not going to love you any less for that. Yeah. To, I mean, that is the most healing thing we can do. And it's not healing for him. This is all about you. Yeah. Right. All yeah. about us as dads. Yeah. But I, I can just feel it like in my body, just the, the power of sort of that generational shift of saying, no, no. Anger and upset and all these strong emotions are not correlated with danger right now. I can be a safe space for those Yeah. Wow. Powerful work. Thank you for doing that, by the way. Wow. Because you do it for all of us. You know, when you do something like that. from here so <laughs> <laughs> I, i can i can bring in something something yeah that's sort of yes, correlated. sure uh because i think this this idea of being great dads or perfect dads is is so tricky and it's so uh nuanced because we i'll, I'll give you a silly example my son this last four days that we were together he, he told me i had a nightmare and his his 14 years old his nightmare was that he wasn't going to be able to be as good of a dad as I was hmm. from one perspective, that would have been the biggest compliment. Yeah. Right? When I'm parenting for him, for him, for him to see me a certain way, that's like the ultimate. But then I realized, am I, am I being the perfect dad to him in not sharing all of my messed up things? Mm -hmm. Because somehow when I'm invested in seeing the perfect dad, mm -hmm. I maintain this image. I don't share my weaknesses. I don't share my, my flaws. I try to keep this idea of, and it's like, I am, I, I am projecting this iconic thing that he's never going to measure up to. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a good reminder to, uh, to bring in more humanity into our children, to not underestimate my children, to recognize that they are also capable of handling the strong things that come up for me. Yeah. And the more I'm able to have that kind of relationship with them, the stronger our bond is and the more it normalizes whatever comes up inside of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about the dynamic of your parenting between your daughters and your son. Mm. Um, in what ways is the parenting kind of across the board Same for all three of them. But also, what are the nuances and how you parent your daughters and how you see it's necessary to parent your son? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. You know, and it's not necessarily, I think gender plays a big role. Sure. But 
every one of my kids, I, I parent very differently. Okay. And, and they each reflect back to me different insecurities. And, and, and so it's, it's been fascinating. My, my, I'll, I'm going to tie this to your question, but one of the greatest gifts that my daughters have given me is I grew up in Mexico where macho chauvinistic behavior is permissed and even, uh, it's not a that's a word, but it's, it's actually, uh, cheered on yeah. by your friends. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's still like that in some places here as well, but it certainly is like the more girls you get, the more this, you know, the, the better you are, yeah. the cooler, all of that yeah. narrative. Yeah. yeah. And almost culturally and, acceptable in, in yeah. many places. And even cheating was, is very culturally acceptable yeah. as long as you don't get caught. Yeah. Of course. And, and I remember I, when uh, I was having conversations with my wife and she would say, you know what, you, you seem like your, your sexual energy is open, like you're flirting. But, you know, I see you, how you interact with, with other women. And, and there's like an energetic exchange that you have with them. Do you notice that? And I was like, please, no. Because when I compared it to my previous relationships where I was actually cheating, I'm like, similar dynamics. You don't know how good you have it. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm such a good guy and mm -hmm. I'm not cheating compared to all my other friends or how I used to behave. Just flirting with this girl is nothing. But then, but she was like, you know, that's, that's something. And then I asked myself the question, am I showing up as the man that I would want my daughters to marry. Mm -hmm. And that really called me out. I was like, oh, no. there's all these little areas that I was certainly aware of that where I still was, a, was letting some justification happen. Mm -hmm. and, and I wouldn't want my girls' partners to be showing up in that way. Mm -hmm. So they were very helpful in closing those gaps for me where I wasn't showing up as I really ultimately wanted to show up for, for my partner. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with, with girls, I, I grew up incredibly possessive with my sisters. Mm. I grew up, my dad and my mom decided to get divorced without telling us mm. as children. So we were so young that they said, let's, let's live, let's sort of be separate in our romantic endeavors but let's not tell our children and still live under one roof because they're still too young to understand. Oh, wow. But obviously not too young to feel sort of what's going on, yeah. right? You pick up on all sorts of kids, pick up on everything. 100%. So I was picking up on everything and I was picking up on my dad having an affair, according to me, although it was, and my mom being all open with guys and maybe having friends that didn't feel totally right. Yeah. They were okay with it. But for me, something was definitely off. Yeah. So I became very... Jealous. I don't know if jealous is the right word, but overprotective of my mom and of my sisters. And, and I thought, oh my God, with my daughters, I'm going to be the most jealous guy. And it was fascinating how that hasn't been the case. Uh, I think because I did a lot of that inner work, I have a relationship with when one of my proudest dad moments is when my daughter called me from school to see if I could pick her up early and because she wanted to talk to me about her first kiss that she had just had with a boy. <laughs> like, oh, and is that, you know, 14 years old, 14, 15. It's like, wow. That's like, talk, it, it, it still moves me. And, and I have felt zero jealousy up until now. Mm. And, uh, and that's really been a function of the work that I think I've done. Yeah. And it's really, I share it because I want to sort of reflect back that it's one of those patterns that, that really was ingrained in me and that, totally shifted by just being able to look at what is it deep down inside of me that this is bringing up yeah. and what's the wound that needs forgiveness. Thank you for sharing that. In our conversation uh, prior to this conversation, um, something that came up is obviously, I think it's also apparent in this conversation is that there was, I think it would be fair to characterize your journey so far as you were very goal and business uh, driven and still are, but something fundamentally shifted that now has uh, changed the, the approach on how you just carry yourself and you see yourself. Um, you mentioned at the start of the conversation that, uh, in writing your book, your first line was when your daughter was born, you didn't love her. I think for a lot of people, 
there is a sense of once you become a parent, like that moment when you watch your child be born, everything changes. I've said that because that's what happened for me, but it's not the case for everybody. So in what way did your upbringing, which sounds like it was a pretty financially stable upbringing, which afforded you a certain level of privilege, in what ways did that component of your life get in the way or not get in the way of how you were parenting your children at first? And then once you had your enlightenment moment, how did you begin to view all of the success that you had achieved in the business world financially and that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because for, from a certain perspective, you would say, well, if you had a financial upbringing that was stable, then there's certainly a bunch of shit that you don't have to deal with, right? You don't have to worry about so many things that someone that has an unstable financial upbringing does. There's a whole other set of stuff that you are raised with. Mm. I was raised with nobody loves you for who you are. Mm. They love you for what they can get from you. Mm-hmm. They love you because you have X, Y, or Z, because you have fun toys, because whatever it is. And it was, it, it creates this association with my sense of worth, with what I, with my self-worth, right? Mm-hmm. With what I can provide for people. Mm-hmm. And it, and it really raises the stakes in success. Because then success equals love. Mm. And and that was really hard for me because then not only that, but then relationships become transactional as opposed to truly personal. Yeah. Right. There's like, as long as I have something to offer you, then, then it's okay. And that's where all of the managing to be seen a certain way comes in, right? Because I need to be seen as valuable to you. Yeah. So that I get your love. And I'm going to be the first one to run and disappear if I still feel start feeling like that's in jeopardy. Mm. And that was a really big shift for me in parenting because the partners in business or romantic partners or even family members, you see, to me, life is a mirror, right? And it's reflecting back to me anything that is unsettled at any given point. And relationships, the more intimate they become, the closer those mirrors get. And the more apparent some of those things inside of ourselves that we don't accept show up, right? Usually when we're, tri- when we're triggered, you know, we go to a, a dinner with, with family or we spend time with, with people that are intimate and we get triggered. Essentially, we're triggered because there are parts of us that we're still judging. There's self-judgment there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the deepest triggers for me. And relationships do that. And somehow I was always able to find a way to be a victim, blame it would say it was their fault, justify my reactions, judge them. All these things were, were, were sort of my coping mechanisms for not noticing how much still self-judgment I was carrying. Mm. Self-judgment was so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But when my kids came up and I started getting triggered with my children, at first I started blaming them. And first I started going into that, so those same old patterns that I was so familiar with. But at some point I was like, you know what? I can't keep doing this. I really need to take responsibility for it for my life yeah. and for how I'm showing them. Yeah. And they became these really intimate mirrors that I was fortunate enough to stop using coping mechanisms to avoid. And it forced me to look at things like, what does actually success mean? Because I can, I can talk about what success means. I can give a whole spiel of success, even more conscious spiel, like, oh, success. But I wasn't necessarily showing up like that with my children. Yeah. I wasn't there was still sort of a discrepancy between what I was saying and how I was showing up with them. And the big shift was that instead of life happening to me, I started realizing that life was happening for me. Mm. And then everything that was triggering me was seen as an opportunity for greater growth. Wow. That was very empowering. Yeah, it it, it is very empowering. I think someone might be listening to everything that we've said so far and might think that the way that we're talking about the impact of fatherhood, uh, the impact, uh, I love how you just said it, that children become these intimate mirrors. Um, I think someone might listen to that and say that in some way we're kind of objectifying our children to serve our purposes. 
And I don't think that that's what you're saying. And that's certainly what, not what I'm saying. As much as we're saying that there's something about fatherhood or parenting, but in our context, fatherhood, that is such a, it's such a spiritual experience in terms of gaining greater insight into who we are as individuals and also into how the, the, the really important things of life in general without sounding so philosophical, although I feel like our conversation so far has been quite philosophical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that's, I, I think that's what we're, we're highlighting here, just how it's not just transformative for the sake of transformation, but it's the nitty gritty of that transformation that requires a certain level of openness and allowing yourself to be molded by these little creatures who come out of the womb fully formed as little humans that then trigger all sorts of things about who I am as a person who goes out into, you know, my community, my workplace and influence the lives of other people who then go out and do the same thing. So it's kind of this ripple effect that begins with me as this drop, but that drop only becomes significant in light of this tiny little bundle of life that we bring into the world. Yeah. Yeah. It really is such a miracle. And I I love that you can bring in that skeptical perspective of like, well, yes, but are we really using them? And what, what I've determined is my greatest role as a dad is to model. And one of the things that I have chosen to model to my children is to use everything that life brings me in service to my growth, mm. in service to greater capacity to show up in the world in the ways that I want to show up in the world that are aligned with my values. And the byproduct of that is that I get to be a better dad. Mm-hmm. And to be able to see, I used to think that I was selfless when I was parenting. But then I realized it was the most selfish thing I had ever done. Right? And it was selfish even in <laughs> if I wanted my kids to do something or behave a certain way. Deep down, I was saying, do this because if you do this, then it's going to mean that I parented you well. Yeah. Do this because then if you don't do this, if you throw a tantrum in a restaurant, people are going to judge you, but really they're going to judge me as a bad parent. And all these things that I was doing, I was so invested in them because my identity of a good dad was totally attached to them. And when I was able to own how selfish my behaviors were, then I was able to normalize them and say, you know what? I love these little creatures and I am a human that cares about my own identity. And unless I heal and deal with my own stuff, I'm going to keep recreating these dynamics where it's about me and it's not about their well-being. Mm-hmm. Thank you for this conversation. Um, for the last several minutes that we have, I uh, want to bring to the table, you've written a book about uh, parenting and your experience. Won't you talk a little bit about the inspiration behind the book um, and what is the central message that you are hoping someone who reads the book uh, will get from it? Hmm. It's called The Mystery of You. Freedom is Closer Than You Think. And the inspiration to write it came from, I mentor a lot of people. Most of what I do nowadays is mentor. And I mentor a lot of dads and that are entrepreneurs and they're in their careers really sort of with very successful businesses mm-hmm. or careers but really struggling at home. And I've realized the there's some templates, basic templates. And, and really, children is just one avenue, one vertical. But my experience with all these wounds is that they somehow find a way to creep, them, creep inside any one of these verticals. Mm. And if I am insecure around my parenting, I'm going to show up insecure around this. If I'm looking for love or through an identity through parenting, it's going to show up in businesses. So 
they, these individuals become better businessmen mm-hmm. when they're able to use their children in service to being better parents and to their growth. And so I, I decided to write a book and really lay out some of the things that I've witnessed have been transformational for myself and for them. And it's, it's really a, a book that the deepest message is you don't have to wait until your life is figured out to experience that level of inner peace and freedom and joy. It's truly available in the middle of the chaos. Yeah. Like you discovered yesterday. Yes, <laughs> that is very true. You said something um, just now, and I want to deviate to talk about that for a little bit um, before we part ways. But there is a dynamic between, um, we all talk about work-life balance, right? So depending on what someone does for, for work and then also not letting that sort of override or take too much of their time in parenting. Um, so how do we find that balance between these two things? In my tier of work, it's very easy for me to, easy in air quotes, for me to go to work. I know I have to be at work at a certain time and past a certain time, you're not going to find me there. And I come home and I can, you know, resume my parent duties. Some people work and they don't have that clear cut nine to five, if you will. It's I'm working and until that task gets done, then that's what it is. So how would you engage with a dad who that's his context? He's an entrepreneur and he's doing things for his family, for sure. He wants to give his children a good and stable future, but sacrificing something else. So let's talk about the aspect of, the aspect of sacrificing a little bit. Uh, yeah, that's a great topic. And it's, it's most of the people that I, that I mentor are entrepreneurs. So it's a, a relevant conversation in, in those talks for me. The first thing for me would be asking someone what their ideal version of a dad is, which goes back to our original conversation. Mm-hmm. Not, not what's not what you grew up with, not what's sort of the opposite of what you grew up with, but what's your ideal version of a dad? Mm-hmm. And in your ideal version of a dad, do you take care of yourself? Do you have alone time? Do you choose to do the things that are your passions? Do you choose to spend time with your kid? Do you, all of these things have to come into this mix of what is the ideal version of a dad look like for me, mm-hmm. which is really the ideal version of a human mm-hmm. that happens to be a dad. Mm-hmm. Right? Because when we do that and we do the forgiveness that we've been speaking about, then the reaction of guilt and resentment that equation is not operating, right? Because for me, it was I'm either guilty for not being with them or resentful that I'm with them mm-hmm. and not doing the other thing that I wanted to be doing. And even for entrepreneurs, one of the things that I that I have a conversation with, first and foremost, is inner work. But on a practical level, is if you need to decide every single time, am I going to be with my kid or am I going to go do the thing that I like? And it becomes one of these A or B scenarios. It sets it up for failure. It sets it up for feeling feeling resentment or guilt. But if you pre-decide a little bit of, as if you had a nine to five, like you're describing, it's like, no, no, these are the times that I'm going to be, it's not a choice. I'm not choosing whether I'm going to be with my kid or not going to be with my kid. I've already chosen that taking time for myself is a priority. Yeah. And it stops becoming sort of a, it's like looking at the menu and having to decide if you're having a dessert every, every meal you sit down. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, I'm not even going to look at the dessert menu right now because I know I'm not going to have a dessert right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think having that for me, at least having that practical understanding of what a good dad meant for me was very helpful because it took away all that heaviness of having to choose away from them. When in reality, choices that were for me in the direction of my greatest parenting ideal were not choices against them ever, even if it included not being with them. What would you say to that dad though, who is, I mean, his mind is set on, I need to provide a financially stable future for my children. And so even though they don't spend time or I don't spend time with them now in the front end of it, in the back end, they'll appreciate it. Yeah, I, I don't, I totally appreciate that. And I think that that is commendable. And I think it's the only thing I would invite them to do is to question 
if they're doing that because they grew up with scarcity and that's the way that they know how to do the opposite of what they grew up with, or if they're really doing it entirely consciously from a place of sort of truly neutrality from how they were raised. See, if they can get to a place where, where there's discernment, don't get me wrong, right? When we forgive, we don't lose that capacity to be objective and and, and say that our childhood may have sucked or yeah. not sucked or whatever it sure. was, right? We, we retain that. Yeah. But when we're not carrying the energetic weight of that must never happen to me yeah. or to my children, yeah, because that's a very heavy thing to be carrying. Yeah. And when we're making decisions from that place, no matter how much we financially provide, we're always going to be carrying that. So I would really invite them to get clear. Like, what is what is really important for you? And it may be, hey, I just need to make sure I, I provide. And even in those cases, I would say, great. Can you expand the equation a little bit? What does providing mean for you? Certainly financial is really important. Yeah. But expand it just a tad more. Not based on your upbringing, but just on your current reality. to the end of, or we are at the end of our conversation. Um, what I'd like to invite you into now is if you could speak to a future version of your three kids. So let's say 10 years down the line, what is something that you would say to each of them individually to help them as like a basic fundamental thing that could help them at any point that they find themselves in their lives, like 10 years mm. from now. It would be in these last 10 years, no matter how many things you think you did wrong, no matter how many mistakes you think you made, I'm still right here. And you can learn from those, but you can let them go. Cause that's, that is my job as a dad. It's to notice the amount of baggage that I put on them and to help them let go of the baggage that they're carrying along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I guess it doesn't matter how good or not good we are. We're going to scar our kids in some way, shape or form. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's what we get to do. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's bringing it back, right? That scarring them is part of the gift that we offer. Mm. It's how they get to see us as humans. It's how they get to normalize their own mistakes. Yes. To yeah. accept their own humanity. Yeah. It's an invitation to not just redefine. It's not necessarily so much redefine because I don't think it takes redefinition as much as it is recalibrating how one sees what one does as a parent in a healthy way. Right, because we're not talking about emotional abuse or anything right, like that. Right, right. But what we're talking about is not being afraid of, um, like you said earlier, showing just how fragile and perfect we are as human beings. Like daddy cries, daddy loses his temper, daddy has to apologize and say, I'm sorry for not listening to you and not taking your advice. Daddy doesn't know everything like those type of things. Oh, I love that. Cause I think when we mess up, what we're really teaching is, can we own up to our messages? Yeah. Yeah. Can we take responsibility for how we showed up? Absolutely. That's the biggest. Yeah. Gift, I think. Yeah. Where can people find your book? Hmm. If they go to uh, Emilio's book, so Emilio's book, just.com, they'll, uh, they'll find it there or at Amazon. Okay. And I will... But on Emilio's book, there's also a blog that I just wrote. Uh, it's called Being a Dad, The Easier Way. Okay. And I think people may resonate with that. Okay. So Emilio's book, I will post the link in the show notes. And I'll also uh, include that as part of the resources um, on my website, for people who listen to this episode at some point down the line and want an easier way to find it. Emilio, thank you 
so very much for this conversation. It was truly a pleasure and a delight to have met you and to be able to have you share your voice on this platform. So thank you very much. Oh, yeah. I feel the same way. I'm so grateful for what you do and the way that you show up. Thank you. Thank you.